feels like a rainy day and I'm just sort of watching everything going on in the pinball hobby, listening to all these pinball podcasts and all we're talking about right now, toppers, under cabinet lighting, signature plates, collector's edition, signature editions, pieces of couches, $15,000 games, $12,500 games. You know what we're not talking about? Amazing mechanisms. We're not talking about seeing a ball do something we've never seen before. We're not talking about dream themes. We've sort of lost in this weird place of like, all that matters is this cosmetic junk that they're ripping us off for. But you know what? We're going to talk on this episode about Canada's Pinball Podcast. Who we think can actually challenge Stern and become number two in pinball. And then we're going to talk about Deep Root and what they're doing and how I think they're falling into the same trap that everyone falls into. And then we're going to talk about what I think is the number one threat for Stern Pinball. Are we ready? Let's do it. Welcome to episode 413 of the world's most negative pinball podcast. I'm your host, Canada. We're going to talk about those three topics on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast, and we will prove that you can talk a lot about pinball without taking up a lot of time. So we're going to talk about uh, the, you know, these, these conversations lately on what is the predominant conversation in pinball. And it's kind of sad to me, and we'll talk about it, that we've sort of, we've moved outside of the world under glass. And now we're looking at all the cosmetic things that can be tacked onto a pinball machine as being the value proposition with these high-end machines. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about deep root pinball because we know in a couple weeks, it's a, it's a little bit of put up or shut up time for deep root, is it not? And then we're gonna talk about what I think is Stern's biggest challenge and also who I think can be the number two pinball manufacturer in the pinball world. How's that for a Canada's Pinball Podcast episode 400, I think, and 13. But first, we want to wish a very, very special friend of the show a much, a much deserved congratulations to Greg Colton, Mr. Rare Hero, on his new baby girl that was born on October 31st, and no, he did not name her Elvira because she was born on Halloween. Um, Opal is her name. Uh, Greg, congratulations, my friend. Always a big friend of the show. Um, super happy to hear the news. Okay, so let's jump right into this because you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a pinball podcast these days, uh, mine included, in which the news is all about like who's got the better topper, who's got the better value, right, for the money. And with all of these games now costing a lot of money, it is not surprising that we are looking at these games and saying, hey, 
Is it worth $3,000 more to get the collector's edition of Willy Wonka over the limited? You know, is Elvira worth $15,000 if only 50 are made? And I, I really, I just really want to talk from the heart right now. And, and you know this, this is, this is all with a caveat that this is a subjective thing. And when we talk about value and price, we, we talk about it a lot. And you can't avoid it because we are now in a hobby in which there are a lot of titles that are getting upwards of $10,000 plus. And that is insane. These games are now costing almost three times what they did 10 years ago. And so we should look at them with a little bit more of a critical eye of, are we getting what we pay for? Okay, now I look, you know me. I love a good topper. I love a sexy game. I love, you know, games that pop visually from an artistic standpoint. And so I don't have a problem with where we're at in pinball. I mean, I love seeing stuff like the Medieval Madness topper. I love how these companies have to compete with each other in terms of creating the most visually spectacular versions of these games. But here's my main thing right now. Why are our expectations so low of what a company can do when they add an additional $3,000 price to a game? So let me, let me break it down like this. For $3,000, why can't a company add another mechanism to the game? Why can't they? Well, you think about that for a minute. How much money would it cost to add an additional mech to a game? Could they do it for $3,000? Because then my head starts to go to a space like they made an entire Lord of the Rings pinball machine, every single thing, and sold it to us for below $4,000. So when you're adding $3,000 from Willy Wonka Ellie to CE, why are the only options we have now, why are the only things they're thinking about developing are just stick-on items that do absolutely zero for gameplay? Zero. And so, but we're all, we're all now being told that that's all they can do. They can't add more. And I'm here to tell you right now that I really wish that for the amount of extra money people are spending on these limited or collectors or or signature edition games would actually come with a unique gameplay experience. I, I do think it's kind of sad, and I'm saying this as someone who's looking at a game in which the only real differentiator from a gameplay perspective is an audio file of Adam West saying people's names, and same is true with Willy Wonka with Veruca Salt. But I think for the amount of money we're spending, we should start asking for more physical things under the glass that we get for the money. And, you know, even if it's not a new mechanism, how about Jersey Jack adds all of those great pinball mods that the community has made into the game so you don't have to go then buy them on top of the $12,500 you're spending. I mean, no game needed it more than Batman with all the mod couple mods that were made for the game. But you see what I'm saying is like we're spending all this money and we are basically getting just tack on stuff. And when I hear us as a as a community, like we're, di we're, we're discussing under cabinet lighting and a topper to determine whether or not it's worth it for three thousand dollars and we know it's not we know it's not and i'm just saying i think these manufacturers could do more
but they won't do more as long as we keep buying all of these high-end games. And look, Elvira selling out for $15,000 shows me that they just won't do anything more. What's sad about it is this. The difference between Elvira Ellie and Elvira Signature Edition is $5,000. So you could buy an Elvira Ellie and put and put next to it a Tron Pro for the same price or any Stern Pro machine basically an entire game is worth of R&D and cost could be next to it instead you're getting a little piece of couch okay so can we start asking for more from these manufacturers when they get above 10 grand thank you very much ladies and gentlemen we can do it together all right so let's talk about deep root so here's what's going to happen in about 10 days deep root has to finally show us something and we've been pretty light on deep root and for reasons that are simple to understand they have taken no pre-order money so because nobody has money on the line even though they filled the pinball world with tons of hyperbole right they they bragged about how much of an impact they were going to have in 2019 albeit they were 100% wrong on that impact but they haven't taken any money and the other thing they said they were going to do was give the zidware complaints uh, or the zidware buyers a chance to get some money back or stay with a game and they gave money back to anyone who asked for a refund so even though they didn't accomplish any of their manufacturing goals in 2019 they did stay true to their word and they did give money back now giving people a refund that they were not even responsible for those Zidware customers. We have to applaud them for that because if you think about the rest of the pinball world and the new manufacturers that came out, took people's money, and then refused to give refunds. Remember, remember good old Kevin Kulik who had a chance to just do the right thing? Even if he gave people 50 cents back to the dollar, it would have been better than what he did, which is spent it all and then got away with it. Uh, he never gave people refunds. Andrew Highway struggled to give people refunds. We know Barry at Dutch struggled to give people refunds. So this company has done right in that aspect. Okay, but, but here's where I think Deep Root is falling into a trap. And I think they're doing, and again, I don't know very much. But here's where I think the mistake lies. Robert is smart. He knows this industry. He knows how to launch a game the right way. He's studied it. He can see all the good examples of how you do it. You don't show an unfinished game. Okay, so to me, that is like mistake number one. You just don't do that. And so that is why I don't understand why we're going to get, you know, and it's it's curious what it's going to be because if you listen to, to his statement, it's not final artwork. It's not a final designed game. I, we, this could just be like a a white wood with a with a mechanism on it, just to test the mechanism, right? This I don't even know if what we're gonna see with these Raza machines are, are going to be anything more than just a white wood version of a game. And I don't even know if it's gonna be like a white wood because I don't even know if the game is going to be on wood. Okay, I, I think we could see it on something else. We'll see. Uh, because that sledgehammer might be able to go through a piece of wood. So we're, we, we are going to see like a half-baked version of a game after they've been working on Raza for two 
years. Now, that's just two years of him working on Raza. John Papaduke was also working on Raza for years. Magic Girl was worked on for five years, and the earliest we're going to see Magic Girl is 2021, right? I mean, these, these time frames are insanely long, and I think he's probably learning how much harder it is to become a pinball manufacturer, right? So, I'll never understand what led them to have that expo talk a year ago in which they bragged about what they were going to do in 2019. But here's mistake number two. Before you prove you can make game number one, before you prove you can put a game in a box and and finish title number one, they are also going to release an animation video of game number two that we are being told will be the nicest animation video in pinball history. And I'm sure it will be, because here's why. We don't play pinball for animations. This is not a game on a screen. This is a game below the glass. It's a game in a box that's about physical interacting with a ball. And and I, I think what Robert is doing, and I think what Deep Root is doing, uh, I, and I don't, I don't know what they're doing yet, but I'm just saying that pinball is not about what's on the screen. It's not. It really isn't. A lot of recent pinball has become a, a focus of what's on the screen because of the lack of mechanical stuff in the games. So when Stern yanks out mechanical stuff and games get really barren like Black Knight, then all of it's about the screen, right? I mean, think about Black Knight for a minute. You're battling monsters. Where are the monsters? Any physical monsters on the game? Nope, they're all on the screen. And yes, the animations have become very nice in pinball, but they're not even close to the animations we see in the video game world. They're not even close. And so I don't understand the desire to spend a lot of effort on animations when that's not really what pinball people want because if we're truly honest and you love pinball and you play pinball frequently tell me how much can you actually look up at a screen how much when you're playing a game can you see a topper i mean i heard people on on podcasts today being like the toppers are so cool and interactive you you barely i don't even notice the batman topper going off ever ever you don't really notice many toppers, any of them. I think the only one maybe Attack from Mars because the damn thing is shaking. But for the most part, the game is below the glass. And so for them to boast that we're going to see the nicest animations, I would say to them, show me the nicest pinball machine. Show me pinball magic. Show me an incredible game and design under the glass. I don't care. I don't care to see like fancy Raza intro videos. I want to see a magical pinball game, and if it has amazing animations, that's icing on the cake. But don't show us the icing until you prove to me you can actually make a good cake. And I think that's kind of where Deep Root's at. I think we've seen enough of, of like companies boasting about the polish, but not being able to make the actual thing, right? I mean, John Papaduke was the master of that. He polished a game that wasn't even mechanically sound. He had all the artwork. He paraded the artwork around. He made us all fall in love with the outside parts of the cake, right? The icing on Magic Girl was the most delicious to look at. And then you actually went to take a bite, and it was like a cardboard cake with beautiful icing. And and I just hope that 
this company doesn't fall into that rut. And I see them making these mistakes, talking about game two before game one is even shown, showing game one before it's complete, showing anything when now the new timeline is not sometime into 2020. Like we're, t- we're talking like it sounds like they're not going to ship anything until summer of 2020. All right. So we'll see. A lot is going to come on deep root in the next couple of weeks. But the pressure must be mounting on these guys to deliver something something not to like not not to, you know because no one has any money in on them yet the pressure is really this and this is like this is all it's about the pressure is on them not to become the laughing stock of the pinball world and the only reason they would be laughed at significantly is because of all the hyperbole that they told us they were going to do so i hope they can deliver on that hyperbole but they've raised the bar unnecessarily in all of our minds, and now they better deliver. So I expect huge things in November, and if if the stuff that we see is underwhelming, I, I think they're going to be forgotten quickly unless they can really, you know, wow us. And you know me. I, I want to be wowed with mechanisms, not with animations. All right, so here's what I want to talk about next. I want to talk about Who do we think become number two in pinball? So 2020, without a doubt, will be dominated by Stern Pinball. I I, I think Stern Pinball is going to have a 2020, uh, I think it's going to be Stern's best year in the last five years. And I mean that. And I think they're going to have juggernaut titles, but I think they're actually going to nail the gameplay too. I think they've fumbled Star Wars. I I, I think that they've had like B-level titles with Munsters, uh, Deadpool, uh, you know, Jurassic Park, I think, is an A title, but not based on the movie. You know, there's still Jurassic Park LEs for sale. It hasn't really flown off the shelf. I'm going to talk a little bit about why I think that is. It's not about the game itself. It's about another factor in pinball right now. Um, but who's number two? Like, who do you think is giving Stern the run for the money in 2020? Is it going to be Jersey Jack pinball? So we know 2020 for Jersey Jack, we should see two games, Guns N' Roses and Toy Story. And he's also probably going to still be selling Willy Wonka's. So Jack will have maybe, maybe three games available new in box, which would be great because I really do want to see Jersey Jack Pinball give people options. Now, I don't think Guns N' Roses, regardless of Eric's magic, and it will be magical because he knows what he's doing. I don't think Guns N' Roses is going to have the amount of attention that Toy Story would have. Just because I think that when you start making music pins, there's no way around the fact. Either you're a fan of the music or you're not. And Guns N' Roses, as much as I love them, and they are huge, they are a bit of a polarizing band. And they are a band that peaked very early, and they have pretty much haven't had any relevant music since 1992, people. That's a long time. I mean, they, they kind of are a classic act. Um, but I still do love, uh, you know, everything Axel touches. But but even so, music pins are are harder sells for people. They just are. Um, Willy Wonka, you get more universal appeal. Toy Story, more universal appeal. So Jersey Jack is in a good position to be number two. Now, I think the two companies that are going to battle it out for number two position are Jersey Jack Pinball and Chicago Gaming Company. Now, Chicago Gaming Company, really, really interesting company. Now, they've had delays, 
And the delays definitely, definitely have hurt them. But who hasn't had delays, right? Um, but they're about to drop Cactus Canyon, and I'm hearing the treatment on it is amazing. But they're also going to release another pin next year, which I think could bump them up and maybe take that number two spot. So they're going to make a licensed licensed game that's an original CGC game. So that is really interesting that they are going to make something that's not a remake for the first time. And they know that there's no point in making a licensed game unless it's a license that people really want. And I heard it is a throwback license as well. Maybe like a retro license. I don't know anything else on it, but they do need to not only do remakes. I think the remake thing will work. I think you'll sell one to 2,000 easily. There's not a lot of R&D in remakes, um, but them introducing an original licensed game is huge news. And we all know this, we all know this. CGC quality is great, and we all know that I think out of all the companies, they're the ones that give you the most, I think, in terms of you know, the powder-coated armor, the mirror blades, the toppers. They really dress up these machines beautifully. Uh, and so we will see. Uh, I think it's Jersey Jack and Chicago Gaming Company battling it out for number two. Now, if I were to say, is there a dark horse in this race? And I'm, you know, like, and I don't, Spooky is going to be Spooky. I just don't think Spooky wants to be at the volume and can reach the volume of a number two. And that's fine. I, I do see them as a smaller, you know, boutique company. And I think they would agree. I think number two, the potential to be number two could also be American pinballs. And they have the manufacturing capability. They've learned enough by now to make their third game a hit. Davos emailed to me saying that I would be very surprised by the third title and I think I'll enjoy it leads me to get excited about it. Uh, but I think for these guys, it's like they either are going to hit it out of the park or I think it's, it's, it's the beginning of the end because you can't have three strikes. I mean, three strikes and you're out. I mean, the metaphor kind of fits, especially in pinball. After two attempts, your third attempt needs to be a home run, especially for these guys who know enough by now, they, they, they've done nothing but get great feedback from the community on what people want to see in their games and how they could improve their games. And it's not a lot. It's not a lot of changes they need to make. Um, so we will see what is the next game from American Pinball. So I think those three companies, right, American Pinball, uh, Spoo uh, sorry, Chicago Gaming Company and Jersey Jack Pinball, which is funny that we have three big companies vying for the second spot. Um, and then where does Deep Root fall into the mix in 2020, right? If, if they're going to ship more titles than anyone ever, how's that going to work out, all right? So here's the thing. Here's the thing I've been thinking about the most. Because we talk so much about pricing, we talk about mechanisms, and we talk about signature plates, and we talk about you know code integration. The biggest challenge, I think, to Stern Pinball, if I'm Stern Pinball and I'm in the marketing department or I'm doing market research or I'm trying to understand you know, what's working for us, what's working against us, what is the biggest challenge at the gate of Stern Pinball's, you know, what 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 would keep me up at night if I was Gary Stern? Well, probably not a lot because he's probably laughing his ass all the all the way to the bank that he got fifty suckers to buy Elvira for fifteen thousand dollars. But here's the biggest challenge to Stern, 
And and I think it's not that young kids don't care about pinball. It's not that um, you know internet connectivity has taken so long, and people love internet playing and game in the gaming world. The biggest challenge to Stern Pinball, it's not the cost of manufacturing because they have that down. It's not you know the prices of pinball machines because we've proven to them that we're a bunch of suckers that will throw money at them no matter what they make, and it happens every time. The biggest challenge I, I foresee happening in this hobby is one thing, and it's one word, and that word is space. I think we are getting to a point where the biggest challenge for all of us, for Stern, for consumers, for distributors, is space. People are going to get to a point, if they're not there already, where they are just out of space to put these games. Because I, I still think most of the pinball buying community is somewhat in a, in, in a place of financial means. If you're not, you know, and I'm talking new in box, okay? Because Gary Stern does not care about secondhand sales. Like new in box, modern day pinball manufacturing, my biggest concern is that I don't know if my customer base has enough room to absorb all of the games that we have coming out. And so then the solution to that problem becomes, well, we need to find new customers, which is going to get harder and harder. As much as I know we think pinball's growing, it's not growing at that level to absorb the amount of games that even just one manufacturer is making a year, let alone five, six, or seven. And you could see it in the community now. People are really excited about what's coming out. But the biggest dilemma facing most of us isn't, can I find the money to buy these games? It's where do I put it? And so then it creates a scenario in which people need to move a game out of their house to move a game in. It's like I got my great friend Adam with this amazing pinball loft in Tribeca, and that's his problem. It's not like it's not about the money, it's the room. And then you also want to make sure that you don't overcrowd your space. Because I do think aesthetically a, a game room is, is something that when you get it right, it's amazing to have. But when you overclutter, it's terrible. And I'm looking at all of you people out there. If you have a pinball machine in front of Windows, that is the worst way to have a machine in a room. You should never block windows with a piece of furniture, let alone a piece of furniture that is like six feet tall, like six and a half feet tall. It looks horrible. Derek, I'm looking at you, man. I know there's nothing, even if there's nothing on the other side of those windows, it doesn't matter. It looks bad. Okay, but back to my point about space. We are seeing more and more people need to sell a game to get a new game in. Now, the problem is, is if you have space limitations happening all across the hobby and not just right not just in people's homes in barcades you know they have enough pins and so then you need you need like you need you need you need somewhere for a pin to go for a new one to come in and so then what people list the games for sale right but games are not selling nearly as quickly as they used to they're not because there's just so much and people are waiting to see what's next that they're not rushing to buy what's old. So if you ask me too, I think what is going to happen in pinball, 
And I think this is going to happen with a lot of distributors. And if I was a distributor, like if I was Zach Many or Chris at Cointaker, and I think Nick Parks has this down, if I was a distributor, I think what's going to happen is more and more distributors are going to help to alleviate the space issues with customers. And we're going to see a lot more used pin sales happening through distributors. Because if you're a distributor and you want to sell, you know, one of your customers a brand new game, well, maybe the only way to get it in there is I'll, well, I'll take that old one off your hands. Like I'll buy back that, let's just say I'll, I'll buy back that Munsters Pro from you. But, but it's like trading a car in at a dealership. You're never going to get as much money as you would at a private sale. But are you willing to wait the amount of time it would take to find that private sale where the distributor will take it off your hands immediately, but he's going to obviously give you a lower amount because he has to resell it to make money. So I think we're going to see a lot of that happening over the next year in pinball. Because I don't know about you. I mean, I know about me. I'm already like, I can fit two machines and I'm out of space. And I know, look, I know a lot of you have a lot of room. But even my most wealthy friends in this hobby, I know that space is an issue. And so then it, it leads to like a different way we approach and behave in this hobby. You start to look at games like, well, for a game to make its way into my house, it has to be a keeper or a dream theme, something I really want. I can't. I can't behave the way I could three or four years ago in which I could just buy a game, play it, sell it, you know, maybe a couple months later or, or six months later and only lose 500 bucks. No, now you're going to lose $2,000 and it might sit and you might not even be able to sell it until you actually, you know, take a huge hit on it. So I think that as we talk about the oversaturation of the market, space is a big deal. I think it's the biggest challenge uh, for a lot of us. I think it's a challenge for manufacturers. I think it's a challenge for distributors. I think it's a challenge for operators. So space and how we manage space will become very interesting. Now, the other part of it is this. In life, you know, sometimes you see this all the time. I don't know about you, but as I get older, having less stuff actually makes me happier. More and, 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 and crowding and, and creating clutter in your home, especially if that clutter is a pinball machine, I don't know, like it, it, it starts to erode away at your peace of mind and your enjoyment. And I would always err on the side of less is more. Like, I don't know, sometimes I'm like, well, isn't five pinball machines like plenty? Some people have 10, some people have 150, some people have one, some people have two. You know, but I would just say, you know, get as many machines as A, you can afford and, and as, as the space allows without it looking overly cluttered. So, you know, I, I'm curious. I'm curious because I do, it, it, we always try to predict, right, when is there going to be like a market collapse in pinball? And I don't think it's ever going to collapse. I just think you're going to have so many titles. And I think across the board, they're not going to collapse, but you're going to see a big decrease in, in in like resale value of games. I also think you're going to see uh, longer wait times to move a game. And it's just it's just the the new marketplace, and I think that's also going to create an environment in which people you know just wait to make sure you get something that you really really want because what is the point 
you're, you know, you don't want to lose a lot of money in, in flipping these games and, and, and you don't need to if you can go play them on location or at a friend's house, all right? So space, I think that's the biggest challenge in 2020, all right? Anything else going on in the pinball world that I've missed? I didn't talk about Jersey Jack's response to someone's question at, uh, at Expo when they asked about the playfield issues. And I don't know if you saw this, but Jack was really like, just sort of like very short and kind of annoyed by the question. And, you know, I didn't really want to like pull up the clip. And I, I again, I, I'm not beating a dead horse with the playfield issues. I'll just say this. People have a right to just ask questions about the quality of the games you're making and the products that you're asking money for. And I was disappointed to see him answer the question in such a way and in such a manner. Look, I've I, what I've done on this podcast in terms of bringing the playfield issues to light, it, it was never meant to be egregious or cantankerous. It was never meant as a vendetta against anyone. I mean, I, I basically said this problem was impacting all of these companies and they all were ignoring us, the customer, for, I thought, too long. And they were shipping products that were known to be defective. And, and I know it's not nice for them to have to wake up and fix the problem and spend money fixing it. But I just... I just think that there was a lack of respect to the customer to answer it like that. And I know Jack is a good guy. I know Jack is a passionate guy. But, you know, sometimes I think he, he fails to realize that every customer and every customer's, like, questions about quality, you know, should just be, I think, approached with a little bit more respect for the question, right? Don't, 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 it's, not, it's not personal. We just want to make sure that what we're buying is of quality. And, and, and that's that. That's that. I'll leave it at that. I, 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 I don't know. I still don't know if the problem is fully solved. I'm not sure what we can do as customers other than look at the games when we get them and see if there's, you know, any issues. And I haven't really seen the issue pop up as much. I know the community would share the issues. If, if, if it was happening on Elvira, we'd hear about it. I haven't seen anybody complain about it on Elvira. Uh, I haven't seen any new complaints from new Willy Wonka builds. So apparently maybe the problem has gone away. And that's all we ever wanted on this podcast, this negative podcast. Uh, do you see, I love that thread on Pinside where some guy's like, ever since he went away, it's been great. I love that the people who complain about my podcast clearly listen to every show. I mean, I'm not making anyone listen. It's a free pinball podcast. Um, we're we're already we're at 35 minutes, and we're pretty much done with the show. <laughs> and we've covered off on a lot of stuff that I think is fun to talk about. I mean, this is what we do. I don't understand why people are so upset. I think what rubs people the wrong way is we don't universally cheerlead everything going on in the hobby. I mean, I, I've been looking or sorry, I've been listening to other podcasts and it's like people are like so hesitant to just say the Willy Wonka topper looks like crap compared to the other toppers out there. I do. I, I think that is a subpar topper. And then you listen to people try to articulate that and it's like they don't want to say anything negative about it. And it's that's fine. Everyone is free to say how they feel 
about these games and this hobby. And look, no one is forced to listen to this show or any show. But I think that we're not that negative and this show is entertaining and we can cover a lot without meandering around a lot of other stuff, okay? So everyone, thank you for tuning in to the world's most negative pinball podcast. If you have any suggestions or comments that you want me to read on air, I will happily do so, but please keep them short. I get paragraphs from people, which I love, and I'll respond to them individually. But if you have any feelings about what's going on in the hobby, if you have a thought on whether or not Deep Root can make it, if you, who do you think is going to be the number two pinball company in 2020? Do you think Jersey Jack's going to do it, Chicago Gaming Company? Do you think Jack needs to get Toy Story out faster than Guns N' Roses? Whatever your thoughts are, email me at canadapinball at gmail.com and I will happily read your feedback on the air. Everyone, have a great week. I'm still getting over some of my jet lag from Japan. I'm exhausted. It's 13-hour difference, and my whole world, my whole biological clock is like flipped upside down. Is it a biological clock? I don't even know. Anyway, tired. Canada out. Everyone, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Hey.